podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. We're about to hear a story about a covenant, a promise that God makes to all of creation. It's the story of Noah and the ark. How many of you have heard this story before? Oh, good. Well, you've never heard it quite like this. Because we're going to read from the scripture and we're also going to do some singing today in response to the story. Listen now for a word from the Lord. After a time, the Lord saw that wickedness and ravaging throughout the earth, evil had become the first thought on every person's mind. At that point, God's heart broke. I know what I'll do. I'll wipe creation from the face of the earth. Humans, animals, creeping things, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I ever made them. But there was one person whom the Lord did not let go of. Noah, because Noah pleased God. Noah, Noah, I have decided to wipe out all of the living creatures I have made because they are spreading violence throughout the earth. I want you to build an ark. Build it out of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with tar. Build the ark 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Put a roof on the top and a door in its side, and lower and middle and upper decks. I am going to unleash a torrent and flood the earth to destroy everything under the heavens that breathes the breath of life. Everything on earth will die. But I will make a pact with you, Noah, A covenant to survive, you and your family must go into the ark. You must bring one male and one female of each kind of living thing. Bring birds and animals and all varieties of creatures that creep on the ground so that each species will survive. Bring every kind of food that may be eaten and store it all inside the ark. So Noah listened to God and he built the ark. He did everything God asked him to do. Noah built an ark. 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 It's time. It's time. Go into the ark now, Noah. Take your entire household with you because you are the only one in this generation who lives justly before me. Noah and his family all went into the ark to escape the flood. Noah took along all of the living beings, just as God had told him to do. They went into the ark with him, two by two. Load the animals two by two. Load the animals two by two. erupted from the depths of the earth and burst skyward, covering the land. 
the casements of the heavens cracked open, dousing heavy rains over the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The water kept rising until they lifted up so the ark floated over the land. The torrent continued to swell and increase in momentum until the highest mountain peaks beneath the heavens were covered, and all flesh that moved upon the earth died. Birds, animals, insects, and all human beings. Everything and everyone into which God had breathed the breath of life died. And the waters raged upon the earth for a hundred and fifty days. It's gonna rain. 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 When it was time, God sent the wind to blow over all of the earth. All of the waters gradually receded from the land, and the ark came to a rest on the mountain of Ararat. Noah opened a window he had built into the ark, and he sent one of the ravens out into the sky. The raven flew back and forth until all the waters had dried up. He then sent out a dove to see if the waters had subsided, but the dove found no place to land safely, and Noah put out his hand and brought the dove back into the ark. Noah waited seven days, and then he sent the dove out again. This time, the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Noah knew then that the waters had begun to retreat. For good measure, Noah waited another seven days. Once more, he sent out the dove. This time, it didn't return. Noah removed the covering of the ark, looked out, and saw that the land was nearly dry. God came to Noah with this message. Noah, leave the ark now. You and your family leave the ark. Release every animal with you that they may be fruitful and multiply in great numbers and fill the land and the sky again. So Noah left the ark with his family and everything that moves on the earth left with him as a new generation. Noah built an altar for God. He made a sacrifice of birds and animals, and he gave them to God as a burnt offering. When the Lord smelled the delicious aroma of the sacrifice, God was moved and said, Never again. Never again will I curse the ground because of humankind, even if their hearts are set on evil. Never again will I destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, nothing will put a stop to planting and harvesting cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then God spoke this blessing over Noah and his family. Be fruitful, multiply, populate the whole earth. Every living thing that moves will be available as food. But listen, listen, do not eat any meat with its lifeblood still in it, and more than that, do not spill the blood of any human being, for I made humanity in my own image. God was not yet finished. God had one more thing to say. I am going to make a covenant with you and all of your descendants. This covenant extends to every living creature in the whole world, as many as emerge from the ark. 
I promise you I will never again wipe out all living flesh. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. As a sign of this covenant I make between me and you and all living creatures, as well as every future generation, I will hang a rainbow in the clouds. This rainbow will serve as a sign of our covenant. Look for the rainbow and remember my promise. the people of God. Well done. Will you roll up your rugs and put your pillows and things over in the corner? You may go back to sit with your parents or you may go back to extended session. Our extended session leaders have a unique vantage point about what it was like to be in the ark for 40 days and 40 (laughs) nights with very restless living beings. (laughs) When our oldest children were little, we had a small playset made of plastic, probably made by Fisher Price or some such company, and there was an ark and there were a whole bunch of animals, giraffes and cows and dogs and birds, and it was just a fun toy to play with. And all of the things had smiles on their faces. <laughs> and when we're children, we, we hear this story and we're, we're always told that it's this marvelous story with, 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 with animals and, and, and rain. It's like some great adventure story. Then we grow up and we realize that's a lie. This is not a happy story at all. I'm not saying we should make our toys with traumatized faces. But when you really read this story, you you realize what it is. It's an awful story. In Genesis... We start from the beginning, we meet a God who has created a good world. And this God fills the world with beautiful things. And God gives this world everything that is sufficient for life. You human beings are made in the image of God. You are the caretakers of all of creation. You are made from the earth to serve the earth. Somehow it takes us only six chapters to become so utterly corrupt that God looks at you and I in disgust and is done with us. 
It's horrific to think about this from the human side of the ledger. To think that we humans have degraded ourselves so thoroughly that God decides that we are beyond redemption. The Bible doesn't give us a list of the sins. It doesn't tell us what exactly was going on among us that caused God to respond this way. Genesis only says that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth. That every inclination of the thoughts of our hearts was on evil. Evil had become our way of thinking and our way of being. We confused evil for good. I don't know how you tend to think about human nature, whether you're a half-full or half-empty kind of person. Some of us think that we're basically decent, and at times we're capable of losing ourselves in sin Others tend to think we're basically sinful and are, on occasion, capable of bouts of goodness. I feel like I've seen enough of the world to know that we're never that far away from wickedness. The line between good and evil, as it has said, runs not between you and I, but down the middle of each of our hearts. Not one of us can say we're immune. Even now, as we look around, we wonder and ask, is the world slipping back into the grip of strong men and charlatans? Are we retreating from our commitments to human rights and human liberties in favor of tribal superiority? The world's leaders seem intoxicated by the belief that pursuing wealth is the highest of all goods. Some of you in this very room next to you can remember a time when whole populations of good folks deluded ourselves into believing that what is plainly wrong is somehow good. I'm thinking about Nazi Germany or Jim Crow America. Some of us have watched the people that we love slip into a moral abyss, no longer able to tell right from wrong, and it feels like no amount of love or grace or understanding that we can give them can pull them back. It's horrific to imagine humankind that lost, so captured by evil that we are beyond saving. But perhaps it's not impossible to imagine that either. It's no less horrific for me to imagine a God who would eradicate God's own creation. For God creates the world out of love, out of freedom, even out of a desire for companionship with us. God takes such care in creation building beautiful layer after beautiful layer in Genesis 1. God tenderly reaches into Adam and pulls a bone out from his chest to make a companion. God intimately breathes the breath of life into every living being. God loves this creation. I'm quite sure of that. So how does God get to a place 
that when things go wrong with us, the only thing that God can think to do is wipe it away. I know that God's ways are not our ways. But one can't read this story and not ask out loud, what kind of angry, impatient, unmerciful parent does this? Our scriptures are spare. Genesis only says the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. This is a story in part about expectations for a relationship that have gone horribly wrong. What do you do when the relationship you assumed you had is destroyed? Who is right? Who is wrong? For some of us, God is justified in the flood. God is right. We deserve it. God is not unmoved by it, after all. Our grievous behavior clearly breaks God's heart, and and God does save a remnant. Life will go on after the flood. And God will make a promise to never do this again, even when we deserve it, which we will. God not only saves life, God chooses to bind and restrict God's own power and freedom. And when God restrains God's self, God gives freedom to us. Some people, nevertheless, read this story and find God in the wrong. Violence. Violence never defeats violence, even when it's God doing the violence. And yet, perhaps, what we see in this story is a God who is also learning this lesson. A God who is growing in relationship with humankind. After all, in destroying us, God realized, perhaps, that God had destroyed God's own image. Perhaps God, like us, must learn to accept humanity as it is, not as we wish it were. Perhaps God also learns that the path to addressing evil is not violence, but something else, something that looks more like mercy. At the end of the story... God makes an affirmation. God makes a promise. From now on, creation and the lives of every living being will be sacred. God makes a covenant as a sign of this promise. Many scholars have noted through the years that this is the one covenant that God makes in Scripture, in which there are no conditions set upon our behavior. We are not obligated to do anything in response to this covenant. This covenant is all about God. God's covenant doesn't demand our response. 
but it still changes us. When any authority figure in our lives makes a promise to us, to help us, and to take care of us, that promise changes us by creating conditions for trust. You who are parents or grandparents or caretakers, you know that the most important gift that a parental figure can provide for children is a home in which the necessary parts of life are regular and predictable. Children grow, all of us grow, in an environment in which we can trust. And that is what God's promise God's covenant with this creation does for us. We human beings do not flourish in conditions of fear and want. We flourish when we can trust and we know we are safe and loved and cared for. So the rainbow becomes a sign of God's unbroken love and covenant and care for us. This love and care allows each of us and all of creation to grow and to flourish. A few years ago, one of these viral videos did the rounds. I don't tend to like viral videos, I don't know. But this one, this one I like. You'll see in a minute, it's a shaky handheld camera. Someone is holding it on what appears to be a mountainside, and the viewer is beholding the spectacle of a rainbow. And the rainbow, a double rainbow, in fact, is a marvelous thing. But what is even more marvelous is the reaction that this rainbow invites. Whoa, that's a full rainbow. All the way. Double rainbow, oh my god. It's a double rainbow all the way. Whoa, that's so intense. Whoa, man. like a triple rainbow. Oh my god, it's full on. Double rainbow all the way across the sky. Oh my god.
What happens? What happens inside of us when we realize the great gift of God's love? When we realize that God's mercies are new each morning? We may laugh, we may cry, we may say over and over, oh my God, how beautiful that the people say. <laughs> 